Welcome to Portfolio Pulse, the money podcast for medical professionals and entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Stephen Husky, owner of Husky Financial Consulting and Wealth Management. Our goal is to help leaders accumulate wealth and empower them to build the life they deserve. Each week, we interview a purpose-driven leader or medical professional that is building a thriving business with community impact. We ask tough questions, learn the habits they practice to build successful careers, and discover a secret they can pass on to help others build their businesses. It's time to talk money, meaning, and maximum impact. Hello, and welcome to Portfolio Poll the money podcast for medical professionals and entrepreneurs. This podcast is aimed at reaching those interested in healthcare, education around all things finance and business ownership. Today's guest is Luca Yonkopoulos. He built Grapevine because he believed that together we are stronger. Grapevine is a digital supply chain network that supports healthcare's highest performing supply chain partners who connect, transact, and collaborate to optimize product costs, fulfillment times, and wholesale B2B trade processes. Recently, a graduate of the University of Pennsylvania, he started the Pandemic Relief Supply as the CEO to provide different uh, PPE to different physicians who were having a hard time uh, finding the gear they needed during COVID, and eventually that developed and spawned off into Grapevine Technologies. Luca, we're glad to have you on, man. I'm glad to be here. It's a huge honor. I've been a, a longtime listener and fan of the fan of the pod, so it's, <laughs> it's pretty cool to finally be here, you know, on this side of the conversation. So you were in New York City. Uh, you're from an hour outside of New York City, so you are a New York born and bred, and I love that you're your hub of your business is actually where you're from. You know, a lot of people, they move and and you're actually just trying to give back to that community and and, and serve these folks nationwide too. So congrats for what you're doing in your community. Thanks. Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate it. You could say I love apples. I, I can't get away from the big apple. So I'm, <laughs> I'm here and I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. So I'm, I'm planning on, uh, you know, digging my roots in. Well, I do have to say, I think you're our youngest guest that we've had on the show, um, but that doesn't mean you don't have so much to give all of our listeners. You know, we've, um, we really want to know more about, you know, how you got into this, you know, the framework of how you developed this idea and give us a little bit about your background too. I've always been uh, the type of person who sees the greatest sort of threats or problems that we face, you know, and by we, I mean humanity on like a global scale that we face. Um, as the biggest opportunities to create meaningful change and, you know, to create valuable businesses. Um, that led me to basically joining the Viper program at UPenn, which is a dual degree program for renewable energy research. I thought growing up, the biggest problem that my generation would face was uh, climate change and an energy crisis. And that was, you know, my belief up until COVID struck and it hit everyone obviously in different ways but it was a pretty yeah. traumatizing event and changed the way i saw the world so that was the sort of first mover in me getting involved in, in healthcare supply chains so the viper program is is that unique and proprietary to upenn yeah yeah uh the viper program is sort of there and i think i don't know how many schools do these dual degree programs but basically you're studying within two schools at the same university at the same time uh to earn two different degrees and it's a sort of cross-disciplinary program between, uh, enter, you know, or cross-disciplinary program between engineering and the College of Arts and Sciences. But yeah, it's it's unique to UPenn. Okay, fantastic. Let us know about your business. You know, first off, what's your mission? What's the value statement? What makes you unique in this space? Our mission at Grapevine is to make healthcare supplies and medical supplies um, more affordable 
for healthcare practices. And the way that we do that is by reinventing the supply chain uh, to basically make suppliers or importers, manufacturers, the people that are normally 10 degrees away uh, from the actual medical practices uh, directly interface with those medical practices. So we arm manufacturers or importers with AI-based supply chain automation tools that enable them for the first time to sell directly to a medical practice. Historically, these importers or manufacturers are selling by the truckload, thin margins to huge distribution companies like McKesson or Medline. And now, and, 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 and frankly, historically, the costs of labor and whatnot and their thin margins don't really equip them uh, to make small volume sales, you know, a few cases here, a few cases there directly to medical providers. And with our AI-based toolkit, they're able to automate that entire process from customer service to logistics to warehousing and fulfillment, and therefore build these storefronts on Grapevine where they promote their products directly to medical practices. Medical practices can come online, browse products from 100 of the vendors that already sell to McKesson. Um, having a McKesson-like experience, but cutting out the middleman and with him, his markups and inefficiencies. So you basically are disrupting the logistics industry for the whole med medical healthcare supply system. Exactly. And the medical supply system is, I mean, it's, it's a different beast, right? I mean, I guess there's some, some similarities between other supply chains, but it's not fast moving consumer goods. People, I think, outside of the medical space expect medical offices to be purchasing through an experience like Amazon. And that's far from, you know, what's really going on out there. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they, they give awards to people like you, like the visionaries, the ones that find errors and they find loopholes and they can actually use those to their advantage to make it simpler for the maker of the product and then the consumer of the product, um, whether it's in, in research or it's in consumerism. And so, I'd like for you to share, if you don't mind, you, you mentioned to me before that you were awarded something to help you along with your progress to build this business. Yeah, we, I think the thing, Stephen, you're, you're referring to is probably our biggest award and the thing I'm perhaps most proud of uh, as far as like on paper accomplishments, which was the University of Pennsylvania President's Innovation Prize. They award, you know, a startup venture from student-led startup venture uh, upon graduation uh, a couple hundred thousand dollars of non-equity funding and you know a lot of publicity and PR related sort of videos. We got cool YouTube videos online that they directed and produced for us. So that's pretty cool. But we also, I gotta say, shout out to some other groups that, that gave us awards, including like the Weiss Tech Fund or the MBA Fund. Uh, they also you know, recognized what we were doing at an early stage, if not, in, in some cases an even earlier stage and um, gave us sort of similar opportunities of, of you know, financing and, and different things to help us really get started. So they definitely saw the potential in what you were doing and they knew that it was going to be big. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it was, it, I, I didn't think much about having a, or, or building a business around this until, I mean, the potential is so obvious when a group of 22 year olds from their dorm room, you know, get hit with a purchase order for a few million masks after having done you know, a little bit of data scraping and data management to try to help people out during the pandemic. It's, it's really crazy. And to me, like I said, I, I didn't have intentions of going into this. It's not what I was studying in school. Uh, but once you get an opportunity like that, it makes you think that something out there must be broken and there's a need for, for change. So you started this from more of an altruistic type of perspective, like you wanted to find a way to help, you know, climate change is one of your biggest concerns. And now it's coming down to how are we affecting the healthcare field when all these big 
things happen and are they acclimated for this change when something else comes along down the road, you know, so finding those areas of opportunity and really, you know, striving to help. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, there's some McKinsey reports out there that say that, you know, the healthcare supply chain is 30 years behind that of other industries like fast moving consumer goods. Uh, a lot of reasons there. My theory is that, you know, the risk or what's at stake with failure and change, um, you know, is life and death in the healthcare space. So people are tentative to accept change and really advance things, evolve things forward. But you know, we got we got involved to to be that change, to create that change, and to do it for the betterment of the people at the end of the supply chains, medical providers, and ultimately even people like me and you, Stephen, patients. Right? It affects all of us. What are some of the lessons as as an, a budding entrepreneur that you might have learned along the way? Whether they were things of of joy that you wanted to share, or maybe some struggles that you've learned along the way that you can help people prevent from making those struggles. You know, one one line that has stuck with me, which isn't the most, you know, positive line, but usually you learn from something because it sort of slaps you in the face, right? So you learn from mistakes. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> uh, one thing that stuck with me is some, one of our advisors once said, uh, hire slow, fire fast. And I think <laughs> that's true. A lot of people that you bring onto your team, whether they be co-founders or they be, you know, role players added to the, added to the lineup, you know, late in the season, they either come with sort of bad intentions or have their own motives that don't align with that of your company. And it, it can be dangerous and it can be destructive. So I think the idea of, you know, being very careful with who you bring on and being willing to let go of those that aren't sort of aligned with your mission on a daily basis or beyond is one of the most important things I've learned, but it's a good question. And I'll, I'll think about it more. I'll bring it up, bring it up if something pops into my head. You're, you're right. I mean, um, but there's one book that I'd encourage anybody listening to the show or you specifically, Lucas, to read is uh, you should you should read Built to Sell by John Warlow. And if you've ever read also Stephen Covey's book about the seven habits of highly successful people, I bring this up all the time. But this number two in, in the principles is planning with the end in mind. And you have to make sure that you're bringing on not only the, the partners or the co-owners or the employees that you think can really help you out the most, but as you progress, are they really still building value in your company? Or are they just a liability on the company's balance balance sheet? Totally. I, I totally agree with that. And I think that actually can be extrapolated to, you know, the idea or the mission itself beyond the people. I think that, you know, if you're steadfast and, and rigid with, I'm going to, you know, keep these people on my team forever. I can change whatever. It's the same. It could be a problem with, with your mission too. If you're steadfast on, this is my mission. This is the problem we're going to solve. You know, problems change. People's needs change through time and there's competitors and there's, you know, an evolving world and landscape out there. So I'd say another big lesson that I, I've taken to heart and I think it aligns with what you were stay, saying there, Stephen, is the idea that, you know, it's very important to be agile. It's very and we are very agile. We try to practice that in a few different ways. We're constantly interviewing our customers. We've got, you know, over 250 medical practices using Grapevine to purchase their supplies right now. And we're trying to get feedback from them, trying to understand what the latest issues they're facing are. And, you know, if you can understand their issues, then you can build real, real solutions. And the things that mattered yesterday don't necessarily matter tomorrow. So okay. trying to keep up to date with the times, pivoting where you can, little micro pivots and, and constantly, you know, striving to improve. So constantly getting feedback as the world changes and their life changes knowing where you can anticipate their needs 
Exactly. Not working, not working retroactively, but working proactively. That's that's very important. That's sage advice, man. Yeah. Um, I think what it's is dangerous your... to be a a solution. It's dangerous to be a solution in search of a problem. That's not what you want to be. If you're <laughs> offering some solution and you're like the solution's so obvious, but people are just like, yeah, but I don't really have that problem. Then you're not solving anyone's problem. No one's going to pay you, you know, as a business to to do what you're doing, and it's a, it's a dangerous game. So you want to be, you know, understanding the problem, staying with it, and and constantly building and adapting your solution to those needs. You, know, you can't push a solution. You have to find the problem and then actually be able to add value. And exactly. then it's not even it's not even selling. You're just giving them what they need. You know exactly. Then you're just being helpful. <laughs> <laughs> well, so what is your vision for Grapevine? You know, are you going to try to bring on more practices? Are you going to uh, try to find different lines of revenue you can you can establish inside of the company? You hit the nail on the head. We're doing exactly those two things. <laughs> you want which one you want to talk about? <laughs> We'll start with with one uh, A. <laughs> okay, yeah, one. So wait, what? That's I, the right. Practices. Practices. Okay, yeah. So we're trying to basically grow and help out more practices. Everyone's got sort of different needs. Right now, we've got a sort of base offering of products. It's a few thousand products, twenty five hundred products. But if you think across different medical specialties, they have very very different needs, from surgical center to dentist to this to that. So we really do a great job of servicing, you know, generalists like pediatrics or, uh, you know, urgent care clinics, as well as dermatologists and ophthalmologists. That's sort of where we focused on onboarding vendors and suppliers to service their needs. However, uh, we're constantly focusing on, you know, expanding the, the vendors in our network so that way we can provide more and more value to different specialties. And people don't want to deal with, you know, purchasing us, even if it's huge savings, getting huge savings on 10% of their products from Grapevine and then having to go to McKesson to order the other 90%. So we want to be able to be that one-stop shop and cultivating the two sides of that network, uh, the vendors and the, the healthcare buyers is a, is a tough balance to, to strike. So expanding across specialties, you know, that's definitely our aim. And we're talking about a huge market. It's like $300 billion of medical devices are bought and sold in the United States each year, $300 billion. It's like wow. one of the biggest market opportunities I've heard. So, you know, to be able to steal a percent of that market We've got a long way to go to do that, but that's you're you're a, a big time business at that point, so that's where we're headed. I love it. Well, you've got some good vision. Um, let's let's ask the, the question that I think would fit real well because we're a money podcast. Um, a, as a business, you know you breathe oxygen, and your oxygen is your cash flow. So. What are you doing in terms of generating more cash flow for the business besides revenue? Are you are you looking at bringing in new investors? Are you looking for um, folks who can understand your vision and want to buy into equity of the of the business? Like, what are you looking for in terms of the structure of how you are now and where you want to be? Yeah, right now we're comfortable. I graduated from UPenn last year, just over a year ago, and coupled or paired with the you know, non-equity funding they gave us. They also introduced us to a number of venture capital firms. So we were able to roll out just under $2 million of, or bring in uh, just under $2 million of funding, including that, uh, that President's Innovation Prize. But that's done, you know, well by us for now. And we've also got, as you can imagine, pretty, pretty substantial revenue with 250 medical practices purchasing their supplies, pretty high ticket sort of cost items uh, and products. So 
we're all right. We're trying to spend and we are spending more than we bring in uh, as far as income on a month to month basis. Like we, our expenses outweigh our, our, uh, our income and our profits. So that's, that is what it is, but we raise money specifically to do that. So we've got about a year's worth of runway before we need to have more cash sort of brought in if we're going to continue to spend at the rate we are. But we also, you know, are always having discussions about, you know, do we want to cut back spend and, you know, extend our runway or should we just dive in and try to raise money sooner? But we got our, our investors so far are pleased with the results they've seen. And, you know, we've got their verbal commitment uh, to come back for a second round. But we're always looking for, you know, real thoughtful people that have experience in our space that have failed in ways that we have not yet failed. And we failed a million times, but, you know, experience is the most valuable thing in advisors. And if we're taking money from people, we want it to be um, money with a mind and, and someone who can offer us something outside of the, the paycheck. So can you tell me if this is, um, are you more of a new entrepreneur or do you feel like you're seasoned at this point? What would you, what would you share to those who are looking to get into entrepreneurship and, and some of the things that they could do right away to see success? Yeah, I, I feel like I'm a seasoned entrepreneur at this point, but not really through my two business ventures. I wouldn't say that's what made me seasoned. That gave me a little flavor, but not the full seasoning. <laughs> I, I, uh, I mean, from like third grade, I can remember I got sent to the principal's office and I was actually banned from recess for like a month straight because I was going around in third grade. I was, you know, took my excess Halloween candy and warheads that my parents didn't give away to all the neighborhood kids that got built up. And I was selling these things called warheads. They're like little sour, hard candy. Oh, I remember those, man. <laughs> I was selling them at recess for 25 cents a pop. And my, you know, whoever I bought them from CVS, a giant bag for like $9.99. So I made something like 50 bucks, which to a third grader is like, I was like rich and I was psyched. <laughs> and then the principal called in my parents and they made me give all the money back. And they said I was, because uh, kids were using their lunch money on it, right? <laughs> they, were, <Yeah. laughs> to get, they were loading up on sugar instead of eating like, you know, a turkey sandwich. So someone's parents got pissed. And yeah, I, I've been doing little things like that ever since. Um so to me, you know, trying to give people what they want and getting paid to do that is it feels like in, in my DNA. Um, and and at this point, I do feel I do feel seasoned. But I think you had another add on question. I'm not sure what it was. Well, I, I want to go back to that real quick. It sounds like you should have just gone to the principal and got your permit. You know what I mean? Well, let me tell you, I, so I, <laughs> I when they ban you from recess, you know, they got to put you somewhere. They put me in the principal's office, actually. Uh, it was. Mr. Levy or Principal Levy, and he's the man. By the end of mine and Principal Levy's uh, tenure, we were watching ESPN on his TV every lunch period and kicking back eating pizza that he was ordering in for us. So we became tight guys, tight boys. Awesome. <laughs> I love that, man. I mean, you, you started out with a good um, understanding of how business worked, you know, that you want to supply something for somebody that needs it yet you wanted to make a, a pretty hefty um, bit of profit on that and so you've taken those those learnings along the way even from third grade to figure out that now that you've got this bigger problem and you can actually push out what people need and add value and if you can make money doing it why you know why not it never yeah. hurts to make a dollar but I, I find that the more success you can see in, in different um, avenues and different stories that you hear, the more you can use that and to build your own vision for what you want this business to be. So kudos, you know, for what you've done so far. 
Um, what would you like our listeners to know about you and, and Grapevine and maybe anything promotions that you're trying to, to push out? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'd like people to know that, you know, we talk about the size of the medical device market, right? A couple hundred billion dollars. Um, as far as us making money in that space, we don't see it as a, you know, something that needs to be marked up much. We're totally transparent with how we make money at Grapevine. It's free to use for medical providers in all ways. The only way we make money is we take 3% of each sale directly out of the, the vendor's paycheck. And that's it. And when you're talking about the sort of volume of hundreds of billions of dollars, obviously 3% is more than enough for any business to, to thrive off of. And we think that's fair. I mean, you end up seeing businesses like McKesson's of the world, I call them distribution dinosaurs, marking something up literally tenfold from what it costs out of the manufacturer's door because they have a lot of overhead, you know, and because that's what they sort of see is the fair and right take. And to us, it's pretty disgusting. As someone who has, you know, a mom in, in healthcare, a dad in sort of life sciences, it's, you know, these people are out there saving lives. Uh, they're on the front line, we called it during COVID. And, you know, they're putting their lives in jeopardy to do well by others. I don't think they're the right people to try to rip off and, and mark something up 10x for. So to me, the, the behavior, honestly, of the distribution dinosaurs that, that reign today, um, you know, is, is pretty foul. And I think it's, I think we're all probably ready for, you know, for change. And I'd also like to add in people like you or me, Stephen, you know, we look at healthcare and medical bills and they're crazy high. Oh yeah. Some of the medical practices we work with 25% of their overhead and expense as a business is medical supplies. So if we're talking about cutting that down 80, 90%, right? Like you're able to actually lower the cost of medical care for patients by lowering the cost of medical care for providers. Those costs are usually carried forward. And that's really the aim is, is making healthcare more accessible, equitable for, for patients. And that's the, the end game. That's a great start. I mean, my wife and I were just yelling about our medical bills for our kids. You know, they go to the, either the emergency room or the pediatric every two or three weeks because their ear infections are sick. And it's like, man, these bills just pile up and, you know, you go to any other country and it's like, a surgery is like a hundred dollars, you know, but here it's yeah. 50, $50,000. Yeah. So we've got to find different ways to change that. Um, well, you got a good vision. Um, Grapevine's obviously going to be a big disruptor in the medical supply chain. And I think that you've got a, a long way to go, but you're going to see a lot of change and you're going to make that change um, very impactful. So thank you for all the things that you're doing for the healthcare folks. Um, where can we find you and where can we find Grapevine? Yeah, totally. We're very active on uh, LinkedIn. So you could check us out, Go Grapevine. And our website is www.go-grapevine.com. Um, if you're a medical practice or a doctor, physician, owner, or office manager sort of listening right now, I'd recommend going on, signing up, and just taking a look at the price offerings from, from the various vendors we've got online. You're going to see the same brands that you're already buying and you're going to be, you know, your jaw will drop. It'll hit the floor when you see the prices uh, in comparison to what you're paying right now. And hopefully it can help you guys, you know, manage your business uh, and, and, you know, deliver better, better quality of care to, to patients. You heard it here first, go to go-grapevine.com and save a lot of money, save some time, help a small business and help your patients. Right. So 
my last question I always love to ask, because this is all about creating meaning and maximum impact with what we do in the world. So what is your lasting legacy? Um, and and how do you want to leave a positive mark in, in your community? With this particular project, I want to change the way people perceive, you know, medical medical distribution and medical supplies. I want, you know, I want to eliminate the middlemen from the equation. If you're not providing in, in this day and age, and there was a time when the McKessons of the world had incredible value, right? Like people could only sell what they had their eyes on, but now we have the internet and we have data and it's very easy to sort of manage inventory remotely and to sell things through means um, or through data management sort of driven solutions. And I think that the era of physical warehouse co-location of products in order to sort of sell them and deliver them to medical practices um, most optimally. I think that era is behind us. And I think, you know, the legacy I want to achieve is to sort of redefine what uh, the understanding of a medical practices need for suppliers and supply partners is to show them that there is an alternative um, and give them effectively the same service with a much more streamlined uh, supply chain. I, I want, I guess, in the biggest way, I want uh, medical medical bills to go down for patients, and I want you know practices to spend less on things that they don't need to be spending on. I'd say outside of this mission, I would love to leave this world in better shape than I came into it. And it's a cheesy thing to say, but you know whether it's through climate change and renewable energy or it's through medical supply chains. There's a lot of problems and shortcomings that the people that came before us sort of left us with. And, you know, I think it's our job and our obligation being born in the era that we're born in, being born in a free country like America. I think it's, you know, our duty to to try to drive meaningful, meaningful change. And and I think that, you know, if you put your head down and you work hard at it, and have the right motives, I think you could do just that. So. Wise words. Well said, man. I appreciate Thanks, that. I think I think you're going to make a big change in the medical space for sure. I'm sure I'll be seeing you in five years on the front of every newspaper and, and maybe even Time Magazine. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Well, if that's the case, I'll come back for a, a special. We'll do maybe an annual special type of thing. <laughs> Where are your guests and what what have they been up to? I think we'll have a whole special on that. Maybe a whole season. I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, well, yeah, uh, where great. are they now? <laughs> where are they now? What have they been doing? Well, hey, great to have you on. I really appreciate your time, and I'm sure our listeners will learn a lot from you. All right. Thanks, Stephen. Have a great one, man. Thanks for joining us today on Portfolio Pulse. If you found this helpful and think others deserve to hear about us as well, please like, subscribe, and share us across any platform on social media or your podcast platform of choice. That's it for today. Remember to be happy, stay healthy, and tune in next time to remain financially fit. This podcast is for informational purposes only. It is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be liable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PASS, Guardian, or Husky Financial Group, LLC, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian and subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. Michael Husky is the registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, OSJ 6115.
5 Park South Drive, Suite 200, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28210, 704-552-8507. Securities products and advisory services offered through PASS, member FINRA SIPC, financial representative of the Guided Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. PASS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Husky Financial Group LLC is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PASS or Guardian. Husky Financial Group LLC is not registered in any state with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission as a registered investment advisor. 2023-159-786. Expires 8-2025. This podcast is for informational purposes only. It is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be liable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PASS, Guardian, or Husky Financial Group, LLC, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian and subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. Michael Husky is the registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, OSJ 6115. Park South Drive, Suite 200, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28210, 704-552-8507. Securities products and advisory services offered through PASS, member FINRA SIPC, financial representative of the Guided Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. PASS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Husky Financial Group LLC is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PASS or Guardian. Husky Financial Group LLC is not registered in any state with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission as a registered investment advisor. 2023-159-786. Expires 8-2025.